This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to African News Tonight. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Douglas Simpoga, and here is what's coming up. In Botswana, we still have around 7,100 new infections every year. This should be unacceptable and is an area where we need to focus moving forward. We have achieved about 50% of reduction from the target. That's Botswana's UNA's country director, Alain Kamalvia, on how challenges remain in the fight against HIV despite the country's successes. Also, a court in Mozambique has begun delivering its judgment in a massive graft case involving government-backed loans. Kenyan President William Ruto has launched a $400 million program to help fight poverty. And Tunisia is on the pitch against France at the World Cup in Qatar. All this and more coming up on African News Tonight. A court in Mozambique has begun delivering its judgment in the case of 19 people accused of taking hundreds of millions of dollars in government-backed loans. Reuters says the accused include state security officials and the son of an ex-president. They face several charges, including money laundering and other crimes related to a $2 billion debt scandal that nearly collapsed the economy. In 2016, the government revealed state-backed borrowing that it had not made public nor disclosed parliament or donors. An independent audit a year later found that the government had not explained how how $500 million borrowed from international banks for for developing a tuna fishing fleet and other projects were spent. In response, the International Monetary Fund ended support, leading to debt default. Among those charged was former finance minister Manuel Chang and Ndambi Gubezo, the son of former president Amanda Gubezo. The judge in the case said it would take several days to read the 1,388-page ruling. In Botswana, Botswana's new HIV infections remained high despite the country's much-vaunted fight against the epidemic. The country has achieved significant milestones, but new infections are still above 7,000 per year. From Haborone, Botswana, reporter Mkundis Dube has the details. Botswana's UN AIDS country director, Alanka Malvia, says while strides have been made, new infections are worryingly high. In Botswana, we still have around 7,100 new infections every year. This should be unacceptable. And is an area where we need to focus moving forward. We have achieved about 50% of reduction from the target, and the target was to uh, reduce number of new infections per year uh, from 2010 by 75%. At least 20% of Botswana's estimated population of 2.2 million people is HIV positive, the world's fourth highest prevalence rate. Malvia says emerging dynamics like COVID-19 have forced officials to channel resources elsewhere, leaving gaps in the HIV fight. The recent disruption in services and supply chain issues have exposed some of the fault line in the systems and exposed how inequalities in our society enhances the vulnerabilities of sections of society. Therefore, we need to now focus on identifying and addressing these inequalities unless we are able to close the tap of new infections, our task will be unfinished. 
Kennedy Mubeli is an HIV-positive activist who says there is a need for more robust public education on the virus. One major drawback is the fact that people living with HIV aren't really empowered. You know, recently we don't see empowerment workshops for people living with HIV. You know, um, one major you know component that actually supports people living with HIV is the issue of treat, we call treatment literacy. This is where we cascade the medical jargon you know, into a language that resonates with the communities. And in this case, we are talking about people living with HIV. And we haven't done much in that area. Despite the challenges, Botswana has been lauded as a success story in the fight against HIV. Last year, Botswana received a World Health Organization award for its prevention of mother-to-child HIV transmission program, while early this year, the country reached another UN milestone, ensuring 95% of the HIV-positive population is being treated. For VOA, this is Mkondisi Dube in Habroni, Botswana. Mashingo is regarded as Zimbabwe's cultural city, home to the great Zimbabwe ruins, which the country is named after. Dating back to the, to the 9th century, the city is testament to an earlier thriving and organized civilization and was built using stones without any cement to hold them together. A World Heritage Site recognized by UNESCO is gotten commitments of 3 million euros to support preservation and development. Reporter Kuzai Vinavashi, who was recently in Mashingo, has more details. Great Zimbabwe was an ancient stone city that thrived near the modern-day town of Mashingo from about 1290 to 1450. It was the capital of the Motapa Empire, whose territory stretched into parts of the modern-day Southern African Development Community, or SADAC. Occupants lived by farming, cattle-keeping, mining, and most importantly, local and international trade. Dr. Jephthah Sakupwanya is Mashingo Secretary for Provincial Affairs. The Great Zimbabwe World Heritage Site was undoubtedly one of the world's key centers of civilization. In this regard, Great Zimbabwe, which was nominated to the World Heritage List, in 1986 plays an important role as a cultural tourism center in the province, in the nation and the world at large. sounds that greet visitors at the Great Zimbabwe Model Village at the site. The Great Zimbabwe Heritage Site consists of the hill complex where the king and his witch doctors or healers are believed to have resided. The Great Enclosure is believed to have been an initiation or training center for girls and boys, while wives, relatives and other important individuals resided in the valley complex. Love more Mwaiyana, a tour guide at the heritage site, says the Great Enclosure is the second largest pre-colonial structure in Africa after the pyramids of Egypt using about 18,000 tons of stone. One is to really witness 
the highest degree of engineering in traditional stone masonry. It stands about 255 meters in circumference, 11 meters high in some other areas. The walls at the base is about five to six meters wide. They never used any mortar or any cement. So for equilibrium and stability, the base was always made broader. Then it gets progressively thinner toward the top. It is named the Great Zimbabwe because 200 similar sites across the Southern African region follow the same architecture, suggesting they were built during the same era. The Great Zimbabwe retains the name Great because it is the biggest of these sites. The name Zimbabwe is taken from a Shona word which says Zimbabwe, meaning houses of stone or stone buildings. The decline of Great Zimbabwe in the 15th century is linked to shortages of food, pastures, water and other natural resources such as gold. After the kingdom fell, uncontrolled growth of vegetation led to significant deterioration and the collapse of some structures has necessitated support from the French Development Agency and United Nations Office for Project Services or UNOPS for a three-year project that started in June and has been allocated 3 million euros. Salesio Zawada is the UNOPS project manager. The overall objective is to stimulate a sustainable, inclusive tourism development and cultural heritage of Zimbabwe through enhancing the World Heritage Site itself and strengthening national capacities to manage the, the, the site. Part of this will include monitoring the brick walls with state-of-the-art 3D technology to keep up with which walls are moving and at risk of falling, allowing the National Museums and Monuments of Zimbabwe team to make timely interventions to preserve and restore them. The project will also support building new facilities to improve the experience of visitors. UNOPS is also working with the local tourism authority and other stakeholders to best identify how to add value to Maswingo as a destination to extend tourist stays. For VOA, this is Kudzaj Nawashe from Harare. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Impoga in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. Kenyan President William Ruto has launched a $408 million program that will offer low interest credit to the poor. The French news agency AFP says the plan will offer loans of up to $405 million US dollars to anyone, excuse me, up to $400 to anyone with a cell phone and mobile money account. The fund will also lend money to small scale enterprises and startups by May. 5% of the loan will go into a borrower's personal savings account, to which the government will contribute about $50 per year. The plan is part of Ruto's campaign promise to boost financial access by the poor. In northern Kenya, the government and aid groups have launched a project teaching computer coding to herders so they can find more sustainable jobs but not everyone supports education that could end their traditional way of life, as Victoria Munga reports from Isialo, Kenya. 
Herding communities such as those in northern Kenya's Isiolo County don't have much access to education. However, the government and some aid agencies are stepping in to make a difference by introducing digital literacy programs in schools located in remote regions. The goal, they say, is to equip this generation of pastoralists with skills for modern jobs like teaching them coding. Purity Kinoti is the education programs manager at Lewa Wildlife Conservancy. There's no way for them to be exposed. Uh, it's difficult for them to have trips to take them to areas where they can see technology. There's no mobile network here, so it's just not possible. They don't have television, they don't have smartphones in their homes, and so technology is just a strange thing to them. So bringing it in the classroom really makes that child feel empowered. 14-year-old Christine Kenyaga is one of the children benefiting from the program. She says her exposure to the training helped her realize that there are other opportunities beyond pastoralism. She says education is good. It will help me in my life. I had not been sent to school. She says, I was just always hiding my father's goods. One day, my elder brother questioned why I was hiding instead of going to school. My father did not want me to come to school. Easing dependence on pastoralism in favor of education here is a long shot, but some elders in the community, like John Parudusea, believe it is necessary in the wake of a growing population and climatic conditions that are putting pressure on natural resources. He says in this area there are almost no cows because there is nothing to graze. He says as soon as the green grass comes up, it is all eaten. And when the grass is gone, our wealth goes too because the number of people setting in and grazing land is now getting smaller. Keeping the students in schools is hard for these communities. And the state authorities say they are finding ways to encourage them to attend classes the county's education officer, Eric Bundy, told VOA that one of the initiatives is simply to feed the kids. We also offer incentives in terms of providing food. That is a, a school meals program whereby they have one meal per day. And this one helps to bring these kids to school. Actually, some of them come simply because they know they are going to have that one meal per day. Herders in at least 23 schools in northern Kenya have access to digital education programs. Authorities say they hope to extend the initiative to more schools in marginalized regions in the future. Victoria Amunga for VOA News, Isiolo, Kenya. Hello. This is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. 
Reuters uh, says French emergency services have rescued 240 asylum seekers trying to cross the English Channel to the UK. They range in age from 7 to 47 and include three Ethiopians, one Somali and an Egyptian. The UK says that 426 migrants were detected crossing the Channel on Monday. Yesterday, British authorities arrested the man. They say played a key role in the deaths of at least 27 people trying to cross into England on a dinghy last November. The rescue this week is credited in part to warming ties between France and the government of the of UK's new Prime Minister, Rishi Shonak. That is Brothers in Freedom, a music collaboration with Ukrainian and African musicians, including Ugandan star Bobby Wine. It came about after a visit to Ukraine by South Africa's Brain Thirst Foundation. In 2022, leaders of the Brain Thirst Foundation, established in 2005 to strengthen African economic performance, went to Ukraine with Tanzania's Zito Kabe. He's the leader of the Alliance for Change and Transparency and a member of Parliament. Also on the trip was Ugandan opposition leader Robert Kyagulanyi Sentam, better known as Bobby Wine. While there, Wine recorded two solidarity songs with Laviv's own local band, String Mockingbird. Greg Mills is the director of the Brent Thirst Foundation, and not only was, on, was he on the trip with the two African leaders, but wrote the songs you are hearing. Brothers in Freedom, sung by Bobby Wine, and Ukrainian Sofia Grabovetska. Viewer with Steve Miller called Mills in Cape Town and began their conversation by asking how this project came to be. From us to you, brothers and sisters. And um, I was struck very much by not only the fighting spirit of Ukrainians, which of course is uh, something that everyone in the world has become familiar with, but also the commonality of values between much of Africa and what the Ukrainians are fighting for. Uh, And so I see very big parallels between this African struggle for democracy and self-determination and rights and what the Ukrainians are doing. And and of course, there's the anti-colonial component as well, anti-imperialism component to the Ukrainian struggle. And yet, majority of African countries are either ambivalent or some are even hostile towards Ukraine and pro-Russia. And that struck me as being, in a, in a sense, synonymous with African views on democracy. So on, in routine polls, 70% of Africans prefer democracy to any other system of government. Yet today, If you follow Freedom House, for instance, over 90%, something like 93% of Africans live in countries which are either only party free or unfree. So the minority of Africans, in spite of expressing their preference for democracy and the way in which they would determine their future and their rights, actually live in systems which don't allow this. Greg, now this song includes Sofia Grabovska, uh, String Mockingbird, a local Lviv band, as well as Bobby Wine, the famous Ugandan opposition leader and singer. How did all these people become involved in this song? I thought to myself, well, what better way to have Africans 
you know, identify with Ukraine and vice versa, then by taking Africans to Ukraine. So we, two of our trips, we took uh, African leaders of opposition movements to Ukraine. And of course, one of them is Bobby Wine, uh, who is the stage name of uh, the Ugandan politician and leader of the opposition. And Bobby and I discussed beforehand about making the the sort of connection between Ukraine and Africa more apparent to a wider audience through song. And we've worked together on songs before. We've uh, co-written songs and co-performed songs. Uh, and I think that song is a very powerful medium, particularly with younger generations. And Bobby was up for the challenge. And on an earlier trip to Ukraine, I literally encountered, bumped into a band playing in the streets of Lviv called String Mockingbird. It was a three-piece string band, and we added the bandura, which was Sophia's actual real job was to play the bandura, but she ended up singing on the two tracks. And uh, we, we put the music together using String Mockingbird and Bobby and then some artists from South Africa. So it was a, an artistic collaboration across continents and was recorded in sort of in real time between two studios in Cape Town and in Lviv with Bobby uh, singing the, the, some of the tracks, Sophia singing some of the other tracks for the two songs. That was Greg Mills, the author of the song Brothers in Freedom, a project uniting African and Ukrainian musicians. He was speaking with VOA's Steve Miller. That's the sound of celebration in the streets of Dakar last night after Senegal's Tarengo Lions beat Ecuador to move on to the round of 16 in the World Cup. This fan tells VOA's Abdurrahman Dier that he's overjoyed with the victory. He says the match was hard at first, but now he thanks God for the win. He says just a match of will, and 2022 is Senegal's year at the tournament. Right now in Qatar, Tunisia is taking on France and is leading by one goal in their last group play match in the World Cup. Australia and Denmark also are playing now, and later today Poland takes on Argentina, while Saudi Arabia confronts Mexico. We'll have an update on today's action on African News Tonight at 18 hours UTC with Sonia Young on live. For all the latest on the World Cup, check out voaafrica.com slash worldcup and stay tuned to all your favorite VO programs, including the sunny side of sports. And don't forget to look for our World Cup podcast on goal with Sunny and Mockbill. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Impuga in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent, 24-7, visit our website at voafrica.com. And thank you again for tuning in and choosing The Voice of America. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel host of Press Conference USA, VOA's newsmaker interview program. 
Join us each Saturday and Sunday when we talk with authors, analysts, and policymakers who provide fresh insight on topics ranging from U.S. politics and foreign policy to science, culture, and global health. You can listen to Press Conference USA on the radio or online at voanews.com slash PCUSA. While you're visiting our website, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love to hear from you. Just send an email to PCUSA at voanews.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voa or on Twitter at voa. That's Press Conference USA every Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African Beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Ndombolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African Beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 